Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Obi. dead? What could we have done differently? Good question. We took too long. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen, and I'm constantly going back in time to redo this podcast until it's good. Joining me today is Patrick Klepek. And I'm hoping someone will finally tell me how to pronounce that damn tree from Norse mythology, because I refuse to look it up. And at this point, <laughs> I'm just rolling with it. You drasical? You, you, I don't know. Don't worry about it. Uh, welcome to the show. We are actually broadcasting this episode live right after the Loki season two finale has aired. Uh, it's the first time Patrick and I have watched it. We had no prep whatsoever, so we're just watching it uh, and then delivering our reactions to you raw. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us across all platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, etc., at Decoding TV. Um, so because we're broadcasting live at YouTube.com slash Decoding TV, we may read and interact with some of the comments that come up. Uh, we'll see. if it, it depends on if anyone shows up. But before we get to our conversation about Loki Season 2 finale, entitled uh, Glorious Purpose, I do want to make a very minor announcement, uh, which is that, uh, first of all, people who've been listening for a while know Patrick's been... With me in the in the uh, in the trenches on decoding TV for for months, and he is uh, he is not tired of me yet. He's reached about eighty percent of his limit, so he is going to be covering uh, the curse with me here on decoding TV. That's the next show we're going to cover, and we actually have some exciting plans for the future of decoding TV that we'll be revealing in the in the weeks to come. Uh, so I'm excited. Uh, and we hope you will tune in for that. Again, it's The Curse, the next show that we're going to be covering. Nathan Fielder, uh, 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 the Safety, one of the Safty brothers. It's going to be like a really fascinating conversation. So we hope you'll chat with us for it. And again, podcast.decodingtv.com is where you can subscribe. And also decodingtv.com is where you can become a paid subscriber uh, and help to support the show. So what we're going to do today, we got some emails, some feedback to cover from last week's episode. Because uh, this is our last conversation about Loki, so we're going to get it all get it all out today, uh, and then we're going to talk about overall thoughts on the season finale of Loki season two, and then we're going to do as detailed of a recap as we can, given that we just watched it. So there's like probably a few details we're going to miss, or some names we're not going to get uh, quite right yet, or some concepts we're not going to get quite right yet. Uh, and if there's anything important you want us to correct, feel free to email us at decodingtv at gmail dot com. But that is the plan. For today's episode. So let's start with some of the feedback from last week. Uh, Sam writes into decodingtv at gmail.com. So Sam is from Wisconsin. And 
this is an email that it gives me no joy. It gives me no joy to discuss because Mm -hmm. it really shows that Patrick is not someone to be trusted when it comes to Chicago geography. Uh, But Sam writes, uh, I'm terribly sorry to continue the conversation around Illinois and Wisconsin geography in Loki. Are you, Sam? Uh, But since the topic was brought up again, I figure we might as well set the record straight and close the book. Last week, Patrick said he does not believe Madison or Milwaukee are on the water. While he's correct that Madison does not border Lake Michigan, it's in the middle third of the state, Milwaukee is, unfortunately, on the water. In fact, while most people would just drive or take a train, you can indeed take a boat from Chicago to Milwaukee. My wife is from the Chicago area. We now live in Wisconsin. So we were actually both pleased to see some Midwest representation and bemused that Victor Timely's Wisconsin-based lab was described as across the lake. That said, consider this. Perhaps in this branch timeline, Wisconsin has finally found the courage to invade Michigan and take the Upper Peninsula. Feige thinks of everything. <laughs> End quote. Anyway, uh, th- this was in conversation yeah. about like in, in uh, I think it was episode four, I want to say, right? Victor Timely is like, let's go to my lab across the lake. And we were debating whether or not that geography is correct. Uh, and according to Sam, uh, it could be accurate, right? You know, could, could be accurate. I'm not going <laughs> to look it up. And as an <laughs> Illinois resident, uh, I know what happens in Wisconsin. I follow your politics. I'm I'm not worried about what's happening in Wisconsin. Like, you know what? Like the fact that I can't remember exactly how Illinois connects to Wisconsin on its eastern border, I, I consider that a point of pride. So keep writing in, keep correcting me. I'm planning to double down and just keep moving forward. That's how wow. I feel about it. Real intense power move, uh, Patrick Lepic. But anyway, <laughs> um, appre- appreciate all of the emails coming into decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, last week, Dan Gavazdan was here uh, in place of Patrick Lepic because Patrick was uh, away on a trip. Uh, Dan did an awesome job filling in for Patrick. And we talked about how we love the closing title sequence of Loki seasons one and two. Loki has amazing end credit sequences. And we got an email. From the chief creative director at a studio called Perception. Uh, and they made that title sequence. So Doug emails in decodingtv at gmail.com. I'm thrilled to hear that you and Dan watch the entire end title sequence every week. I may be a bit biased, but I feel like title sequences are as much a part of the experience of the show as anything else and deserve not to be skipped. You'd mentioned in the podcast that you weren't sure if the title sequence was the same every week. And I figured I could shed some light on that. Uh, You definitely picked up on the fact that the sequence is not the same every week, but it is not the same in subtle ways. We wanted it to feel like something was different without knowing exactly what was different. This idea started in season one with the idea of variance, but it has held over into season two with the branch timelines. Each week, the visuals of the title sequence are largely the same, except for a few shots. The music is different every week, but we have nothing to do with that. We always replace the photos on the casting by card, the shot with folders sitting on a desk. In season one, we also replaced posters hanging on the walls or a random document here and there. And in season two, we updated shots as the season progresses and the world of the TVA gets more out of control. Some things might become more degraded, lights flicker a little bit more, glass shattered, etc. In episode five, we even updated the type and line in the credits to fall apart and break. It's all designed to be subtle and felt more than seen. Loved hearing you and Dan give some love to the title sequence. It's one of my all-time favorites that we have made. From the show it's attached to, to the story behind its creation, uh, done entirely remote, most of it shot in our creative director's basement during COVID. It holds a very (laughs) special place in my heart. Keep up the great work. I look forward to all your podcasts each week. Uh, That email comes in from Doug from uh, Perception. Writing into decodingtv at gmail.com. Awesome email. Uh, love that. Patrick Klepik, I don't know if we've talked about the title sequence this season, but I, I, I assume you're a fan. Let us know what your thoughts are. 
Yeah, and I have to imagine it's a underrated and also overlooked art in which we exist in a world where most streaming services, services popularized by Netflix are popping up a thing where it's like, hey, <laughs> these people who made the show, you just want to like, well, watch another one of these bad boys, right? And you can skip <laughs> right through. And I think part of the reason it probably stuck out to you and Dan and st- sticks out to me as well is it's a combination of a really striking soundtrack, right? Like the bit that comes in at the end there is one of my favorite like thematic elements of the Loki soundtrack more present in season one than season two, but still like a really incredible synthesizer bit. And that just kind of like almost like prison shot of Loki just it's, it's really striking. It's kind of a kind of a punch in the face at the end of an episode. And I have found myself more often than not sitting through quite a bit of it, partially driven by the like haphazard nature of, Marvel television shows on whether there's a post credit sequence or not. You know, you'd watch a show like WandaVision and I don't know, every other episode might have a post credits. It wasn't, there was no real like thematic consistency there, but I, I agree that uh, it's, it's a really strong ending sequence punctuated by that extremely strong soundtrack. And I, I imagine there are a lot of creators out there that work in a field like that work in those sort of like beginning and end title sequences uh, I, I assume that's not necessarily a particular craft where it's like I specialize in beginning and end sequences, but maybe I could be wrong there. But it's it's nice there's a, there's a moment where that can be called out because it's increasingly the kind of thing that has been uh, de-emphasized by the nature of how we watch shows these days. Yeah, and uh, something else that we also... The music is awesome. Natalie Holt does an amazing job in Loki. Um, But something we also discussed last week is how many... In many instances, the end of the episode kind of just crashes into the credits. Like, you almost, like, don't (laughs) even realize the credits have begun sometimes. Uh, So I appreciate that as well. It feels really well integrated. By the way, uh, Stephen Parker in the chat is correcting me. Uh, the episode where Victor Timely talks about going across the lake to his lab is episode three. In correcting things, I do not wish to introduce further errors. So episode three, I wanted to, <laughs> not episode four. Okay. Uh, there is one last thing, uh, you know, speaking of corrections that I wanted to make, which is uh, the, in, like for most of the season, I think I have been misidentifying the character that Winmi Masaku plays. Uh, Winmi Masaku plays a character called B-15 in Loki, and uh, I think I got her confused with X-5, who is the character played by Raphael Casal. Mm. Uh, and so, so, I, so I think I, I might have called her like X-85 or something like that instead of uh, B-15. So that's my bad, and I apologize to Winmi Masaku. Um, <laughs> her name is is B-15. You know, Patrick, uh, when I started podcasting, I would mm. often refer to the characters by the actor's name. So, like, I'd be like, Tom Cruise did this in Mission Impossible instead of Ethan Hunt. And uh, as time went on, I realized, like, that's probably you know, not the greatest habit to have. So I'm like, okay, I got to use characters' names. Um, and then that ran straight into my inability to remember simplistic names that have names and uh, or letters and numbers in them, you know? So uh, my bad. Hunter B-15 is the name of Winmin Basaku's character. All right. And that's important because of this episode. Mm. Patrick Klepek, let's talk about the season two finale of Loki uh, and let's start with just overall thoughts. What did you think of this episode of television? 
I broadly quite liked it. Um, I think a lot of that is informed by having watched these films, this universe for, I mean, when, how far back does Iron Man go at this point? Uh, it's more than 10 years, right? Um, and 15 Loki, years we've been watching 15 these movies. years, right. And and Loki is not far behind, right? Like uh, the, the original Thor comes uh, not, not too long after the original Iron Man, a couple of years after. And uh, Loki probably has one of the most, like manages to have two satisfying arcs as a character. Um, I, 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 I will certainly agree with many problems of how we get there. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a perfect arc by any means, but in terms of where this character ends up in this version of the show, this version of the character, uh, if this is, Tom Hiddleston saying goodbye to the character. I don't, you know, I'm, we're not in spoilers, but like, there's nothing, uh, final about this in, in a certain sense there, there would be, room it, it for... could easily be the swan song for Tom Hiddleston as Loki though. Like if he wanted to, it, yeah, he could walk away to... and this would be like an appropriate ending for that character. Right. So, and I think it's a, a pretty beautiful and interesting ending, uh, to that character, or at least an end to an arc. However, it ends up being, you know, sort of playing out, um, in the, the broader MCU going forward. But um, this show has always rested on Hadelson for me, like even in its weakest moments. And there have been some especially weak moments, I think, in this season. And, you know, I wasn't here to talk about last episode, but he had some incredibly strong moments in, you know, I think I texted you saying, I kind of wish that this episode reworked into something else was the pilot of the season. And I meant that in the sense that I wish this was the arc of the season of these characters finding themselves in these other timelines and then sort of being drawn back into the broader drama and implications of the TVA and the multiverse and he who remains and yada, yada. Cause those things are just so much further down what I actually care about. Like that scene with Sylvie and Loki at the bar looking into other's eyes, like the, like the ability for Hiddleston to just <laughs> generate tears out of a uh, a universe that doesn't necessarily always earn them, uh, mm-hmm. even if it's like saddest moments. And so I thought this finale was clever and fun and interesting. I think it's very, it's very easy to poke holes in, but as an episode where I went along for the ride, was I entertained, was I moved, uh, all those things are true. And I found myself like smiling at the end, uh, in a way that felt thematically appropriate for the arc of this character. Um, and I don't think it resolves a lot of the issues that you and I have had through this season. I think it's a deeply fa- flawed season of television, a uh, a season of television that is flawed because of the larger weight of the Marvel Universe and, and, and often not because of it. I think it undermines itself in, in other ways. But I, I enjoyed where we ended up um, – despite the compromised circumstances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very fair uh, review. I, I am going to be actually more positive on this episode than you. I thought it was a tremendous episode of television. I was blown away by it. I thought a lot of things were very clever. And it was actually moving. I actually like got a little weepy towards the end of the episode. Like That's how moved I was by this, uh, which I think is actually really impressive given how lost in the wilderness the show felt in the first three episodes. Like, I think the first three to four episodes felt like there was a different concept for each episode, for, like, what the season might be. 
and that they were all kind of fighting against each other. And episodes four, five, and six really felt like they took one concept, arguably episode one too, right? Episodes one, mm-hmm. four, five, and six felt like they took one concept and followed through on it in a really beautiful way. In regards to the broader MCU issues, uh, this is not, I don't believe this is a spoiler. I have seen the Marvels. I don't think anything in Loki season two is relevant to anything that goes on in the Marvels. So like, other than in possibly the most like loose way imaginable, but like you do not need to watch Loki season two to enjoy the Marvels. Um, And I do think that, and I will also say that I think watching Secret Invasion will actively hurt your enjoyment of the Marvels, which um, <laughs> is a show that Patrick Klepek and I have covered on this podcast. And so, oh no, yeah. I can't. Can can Kang erase that part? Yeah, like, like, I wish. Like, come on, like, hey, hey, buddy. I wish. Uh, I I can't wait for you to see the Marvels, Patrick, so we can talk about how ridiculous, like, like when you watch it compared to what happened in Secret Invasion, it makes like no sense. So like. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't wait until you see it, so we can talk about it. But anyway, uh, yeah, broader MCU issues notwithstanding, the fact that like the first few episodes were a bit of a mess. This was a really strong ending, uh, and just really lovely and beautiful, thematically resonant with what we what the show is trying to convey about Loki. Um, uh, so just some incredible imagery, uh, yeah. and I I loved it. I, I and also I, I want to say. It's rare for a show to turn itself around like this, I have to say. Like, after the first few episodes, I think you and I were like, this is done. This show is done. Like, it's there's no there's nothing we can possibly take from this. Um, we weren't that extreme, but you know, it's like <coughs> we were pretty pessimistic because the first few episodes were so rough. And I think this was a really strong ending that made me feel like my time was rewarded. Uh, and uh, I was I was just very moved. By the episode, so I, I really enjoyed it, and we're going to talk about why exactly. But Patrick, hold on, go David, ahead. can yeah. I can I can I reveal something? Yes. Can I reveal something? Yes. So I am new to talking this in depth about television shows, and I I was okay. I liked this episode way more than like I've been trying. I was like a little more tempered coming into this. I was like, okay, like Patrick, you're like you really like this Marvel stuff, and like David doesn't really like this stuff, or like he's he's a little more critical of it to you, and it's like go in there and be like. A little more tempered, like I was, I'm way more like on your level. This I was like, I came out, I was like, man, I really fucking love that. Yeah. Be serious. <laughs> Be like you're doing this like for real now. Mm, uh, mm. And yeah, I yeah, okay. It's uh, okay like, to love. It's okay to love things, Patrick. Yes, go go ahead. Like, okay, yeah, I, are you, do you want to time slip back in time and re re give your thoughts on the episode? I don't take back anything that I said. I yeah. think I would just amp it up by like three or four degrees. Is where is is where where I where I actually ended up was like I think is because I have my history with this franchise, this universe is much more in a fan or like I never go into these movies or television shows with my criticism brain on. Mm-hmm. And so it's different from the, all the other work I do in my life where it's like time to think about what I'm going to do with this piece of work mm-hmm. after I experience it. And movies, especially television, especially and the MCU as like one of the things that I really have enjoyed despite its ups and downs and uh, something that I share with my wife that we both really enjoy watching it's one of those where I just go in and I'm like, I'm trying so hard to turn that part of my brain off where it's like, I can recognize all the bad things here, but what if we just conveniently ignore them 
and have a good time. And so like, I'm like trying to like ride that wave as I move into this different, different mode. And I found myself just sort of swept up in the moment of Hiddleston and Loki and like found myself very moved by having experienced 15 years of this character Mm. and finding to be a really moving conclusion for an actor that I've really valued in this series and has really been a foundational element of like why any of it works, even when I think the the, the movies and, and writing was was better in its in its earlier years. And so like that's actually where I I, I left at the end of it. it was like fuck yeah like that that's that smile was real good. Like yeah, we'll yeah, get yeah. To the smile but like you know what I mean? Like and so well, that, yeah, that's like more honestly where I ended up. And and <laughs> well first of all I'm sorry that I have smothered your that's joyous, you. your that's, joyous that's spirit. Um, then, once you came out of the gate, going like, I, I really love this episode. I was like, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right, like, let's go. Like, like, time to unleash myself. I was, I was deeply moved by the episode. I was, I just thought it was like a really, just an incredible finale. And, and I have to say, by the way, that episodes four, five, and six um, were all episodes I was really, or uh, yeah, like all episodes I was like. Um, Specifically five and six, because uh, yeah. all episodes I was really looking forward to, like looking forward to because uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. And in a good yeah. way, in a good way where I'm like, how are they going to get themselves out of this one? You know, what are they going to what, what opportunities are they going to use in this episode? And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I felt like basically an anticipation each week for Loki that I don't often experience because it's just like, oh, like, oh, it's the same it's another adventure with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, like, <laughs> but this one was like the medium, right? Yeah. Like, I think there's a lot of sl- like, there's not a lot of there's basically no action in the finale. It's, mm-hmm. It was one of the, you know, mm-hmm. however you felt with the finale yeah. of uh, I mean, relative to what you expect for, like, the bombastic uh, laser swords, laser eyes in the sky sort of uh, finale, like the, the, even a, a great show like WandaVision. fell into by its like by its conclusion like they loki season one and and season two however you feel about how those two seasons wrap up are relatively quiet relative to conclusions for superhero arcs in uh in a lot of marvel stuff or comic stuff in general and i appreciated that it felt like four five and six add up to you know two and a half hours of of television roughly probably closer to three hours and felt like contained arcs within their episodes yes. and yet required you watching them like it, hey that's the benefit of tv well um, well i, I would also you, argue you know I, I i put out a thread about how much i love the season two finale and someone said mm-hmm. couldn't this have been a movie you know could could the whole season have been an email and the reason why like maybe not is because of some of the stuff that happens in the finale. Like, if you've seen the finale, you know that, like, events from the f- first season are referenced really directly in a way that would have been kind of hard to pull off with a movie. You know, like, it would have been possible. But then the first season would have had to, had to been a movie, too, basically. And, like, yeah. and then it's like, would it, would it have contained everything that it did? You know, so, anyway. We, we will not know what that variant time timeline was. Um, but I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Patrick. Did you have anything else to say before we move on to the finale? No, uh, the, no, no. Uh, I... I, I... There's a world where, sure, you could see this being two films, but I do think, broadly, it didn't take advantage enough of the medium that was in, and I think it's reflective of Marvel's broader problems. Agreed. But 
I think there's enough evidence in here of there's there's kind of a what if like and Marvel has its own what if show, but like what if they had truly embraced that? I think we'd be talking about a show that was really special and transcended its place within the Marvel universe, as opposed to where it ends up, which I think is like a show that is pretty good to special, depending on yeah. on, on your relationship with the Marvel universe. And I think had it. There was a world where this could have appealed beyond just Marvel folks if it had been allowed to breathe in that way. Yeah. Hopefully this is an example of, hey, Marvel going forward, like, okay, you can't fix this one. But what you could do going forward is understand what you had here and allowing other characters and stories to to blossom and breathe in that way. I mean, I think what you're describing is part of it, like how they use the episodic medium. But I also think there's just... There were just clearly like competing visions for what the show would be, I think, yeah. this season. And that was the biggest problem. Um, so I agree with you. That we end up in the same place. The show ends up being pretty good, even great. Um, it could have been incredible, a masterpiece. It didn't quite get there because of the early season problems, but it ends up being still quite good and, uh, and well worth discussion. So those are our overall thoughts on the Loki season two finale. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Let's get to uh, our conversation about what actually happened in this episode. So, uh, the episode begins with the Marvel logo going backwards. Uh, which I thought was really cool. I'm always, anytime the Mar- they do something cool with the Marvel logo, I'm always like, oh, that's cool. Now, the music begins playing, and it sounded a little odd to me, Patrick. Uh, I was like, this music is a little bit weird sounding. Uh, I wonder if they're playing like the Loki theme backwards, because the, the logo is backwards. Uh, so what I did was I ran the opening sequence through uh, my editing software and reversed the audio. Uh, and I am sad to report that it doesn't sound like the, it does not sound like the Loki uh, music. It sounds like nothing at all, actually. But I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it for you so you know what it is. Here it is. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So still kind of cool, but that was um, not 
any recognizable music from the show as far as I'm, I'm not sure what I was supposed to pull from it, right? Yeah. Like at least, <laughs> you know, when they did like the Victor Timely, you know, sort of, you know, ragtime piano, I sort of was like, oh, I get you what you're going for here. This is, uh, I guess, just meant to be weird and odd. Or maybe it's something an yeah. Easter egg will, you know, someone will. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was just supposed to out. sound like it was in reverse. I don't know. But um, whatever it is, it was it was cool sounding. All right. The episode begins. It is second. We are in the timeline. We are seconds before the end of episode four again. Uh, something that Dan Kavazdan and I talked about last week was it was weird how when Loki uh, or uh, Kiwe Kwan is like saying, you need to find a time frame with all of our temporal auras in this configuration. Uh, Victor Timely does not need to be recruited in that. You know, like, um, <laughs> like... Uh, Loki doesn't go and snatch up Victor Timely or Jonathan Majors or whatever from to uh-huh. bring him to the. It's like his temporal aura is not relevant in that situation. So, whatever. Even though he's re- like when Loki returns to episode four, Victor Timely is standing like right there next to him. Whatever. Um. So it's weird that when they go back, Jonathan Majors is still there. But whatever. Uh. And then what's cool about the scene is we see Loki time slip into himself. For the first time. Usually when he's time slipping, uh, we see it from his perspective. But now we see it from like, if you're standing next to him, what does it look like when he time slips into himself? Really cool effect, uh, I thought. And they basically tried to give us a different POV on Victor Timely being annihilated, uh, where Loki says, hey, what? He, he asks Kiwi Kwan, hey, that failed. What do we need to do to fix that? That that's that was Loki's like you know what's hilarious was Loki goes backwards because you think to himself, Oh, Loki has some kind of plan to fix it. And his plan was to go back and ask Kiwe Kwan what his plan would be. <laughs> <laughs> so he's honest. He's like, like I, I So I'm thinking I'm thinking, oh, mischief, but... I'm thinking, oh, Loki has the situation dead to rights now. Like what's he's gonna do something crazy and then he just lets it all happen, and then he's like, okay, Kiwe Kwan, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it becomes clear he's trying to Groundhog Day his way out of the situation. The show obviously takes many inspirations from things like Back to the Future and, and other time travel shows, but like this episode was most clearly inspired by Groundhog Day, and I thought the implementation was awesome. Um, uh, so... Yeah, uh, Patrick Klepek, any thoughts on this opening scene before we get to what happens next? No, it, it it set up a really fun framework where, as you said, what's been really fun about that past couple episodes is they end in a place where I'm not really sure where we're going and not in a like, wow, they really lost the, you know, the thread on this this season in general. It's more just, I'm not quite sure where this is going to end up. And even though I... You sort of know they're going to solve this quandary somehow by the end of this episode. The framing device at I knew that was going to have a lot of fun suspense and surprises along the way. So to have that combined with and also Loki, yeah, he's a god of mischief and he's really clever, but like he's kind of out of his element. Like there's not like magic to cast. Uh, I mean, we'll get there. Magic is to be casted at some point. But in this specific instance, it's I got to talk to people who are smarter than me and hopefully apply that logic to this situation, which I thought was a fun place to put a character who is otherwise he's a god. 
seen as really smart, kind of above people. He's sort of, yeah, he can travel through time. He is a different God in this sort of scenario, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily has the tools to solve this situation. And that just leaves a lot of fun to be had with the character having that sort of problem to solve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we see Loki time slip back to the beginning of episode four. And, and and we see like we basically see Loki trying to like fix the problem. We see Victor Timely annihilated many many times. It's very amusing. Um, Loki finally time slips to the beginning of episode four. So like essentially, as the episode as this episode goes on, he goes back in time further and further to try to solve the problem. <laughs> right. So he starts like by going to the end of episode four. Then he goes back to the beginning of episode four and then continues proceeding from there. We see Ob like briefing them about what how to stop the time loom from exp- temporal loom from exploding, and but then Loki like knows everything, so he like does the briefing himself, and Loki asks Ob the question, "Hey, um, how much do I need to? Uh, how much time do I need to learn everything you know to be able to do all this myself?" <laughs> and he's like, "I don't know. It could be, could take decades, centuries even." And then there's a text on screen centuries later. <laughs> which I thought was wonderful. I thought it was wonderful because it's like, you know, it, it reinforces this point that is going to be reinforced throughout the episode that the, the extent to which Loki is willing to sacrifice to preserve these people's lives, which is something that was begun, you know, a couple episodes ago, like he, or, you know, the idea of being, wanting to be friends and, and keeping his friends and so on. And, um, last episode, I think it was. And, um, and uh, and the idea that he's been doing this for centuries is a really kind of powerful idea. Um, similar to Groundhog Day, honestly. Like, somebody did the math about how long Bill Murray would have had to have been in Pennsylvania. And it was something like, you know, hundreds or thousands of years to be able to, like, have the mastery <laughs> of what he had in that film. Um, so it's centuries later, and they're referencing how, like, you know, Loki, I'm not questioning your surprisingly advanced engineering skills, but, you know, are you sure you know what you're doing? And so it's it's very funny, like, how, they, you know, this, imagine this guy who is, like, Loki is, like, suddenly a genius about everything. And Loki gives Victor Timely extremely specific instructions, which I just thought was so wonderful. Like, it's not like, hey, make sure you, like, stay, you know, keep balance out there. It's like, okay, make sure you like apply tape to your like upper left shoulder and your mask. And then do not the put flap. the device. The flap. Yeah. The, the flap. flap. Do not put the device down <laughs> the gangway. It will roll. Like you can tell he has been through this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Uh, and he's learned every, every single iteration, very like edge of tomorrow, very groundhog day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just thought the specificity of those details was so wonderful, right? It was just like really, with it, it conveys so much by just like referencing these these specific things. So I really love that. And then we find out BT Dubs. After all these centuries, it turns out the loom was always gonna fail. Um, they had no chance. Uh, the 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 timelines are infinite, and the loom cannot account for the infinite timelines. And that's that. So. Uh, at that point, Loki decides to go back even further back in time. Before we talk about that, Patrick Klepek, any other thoughts on this sequence? Well, I would say, for one, I the little details you're pointing out, I thought were a really elegant way to convey, hey, we could be doing these little accidents forever. Like, how, how many of these are we really going to show? Um, we got to kind of move things along. But it conveyed that sense of, you get the, the joke, which is centuries later. Uh, but then... 
the specificity of the things he's picked up along the way, failing over and over again, reinforce on a character level what that joke is getting across in text. And so I thought those two things worked in tandem by not just being like a funny bit, but also this is a God. Like, I don't know how Loki, how old Loki is considered in the MCU at this point, but he's a God. They live presumably centuries by default. And so a passage of time that long is in, in theory a blip for a character like this, but usually a life like lived in luxury and decadence as opposed to like learning physics and like quantum mechanics. And so that combined with the sequence that happens where we like revisit he who remains, um, I thought that all worked really pretty well. And I thought it was actually a better version of a criticism you've had over and over with the show, which is totally earned, which is I thought that was a pretty good reveal that, Hey, you're screwed all along. This was just a backup plan because the way, the reason it worked for me was because the moment it was pointed out, it was like, ah, shit, that does make sense. Like, yeah, of course that's the, like, of course, like this is a man who has manipulated time different. Like, of course there's a backup plan, but the show is just putting in front of you over and over. Well, Loki's a hero now. Like we're going to solve this. Like he can travel through time. He's got this. And so I remember pausing the episode. I had to get up and help my kids uh, with something at that point. And I was like, there's like 30 minutes left in this episode. Like what, like what else is in front of this character? And then that happened. I was like, Oh, so I just thought that actually worked as a pretty good reveal. Plot twist, gotcha, however you want to characterize it, because that can be used in a uh, complimentary or pejorative way. And here, I thought it was an instance where the show reveals something and it logically makes sense to the audience given the information we have. And isn't necessarily backfilling something, it's just a logical extension of what's come before while also acting as a, as a surprise. And that's the best way that things like that can work. And I thought this was a, a good instance of the show deploying that in a way that made sense for all the characters involved. It's an amazing moment. You know, Patrick Klepek, I recently had a chance to film uh, an expert glassblower. Uh, I shot a glassblower who is like an artist um, doing her work, and you really get an appreciation for how, like, when you ever see a glass sculpture, like every tiny um, sort of, contour outline feature of that glass is manually put in manually sculpted and then they need to put it back into this oven to make sure it doesn't like solidify you know so they can like they basically they put it into the oven they take it out they like sculpt it a little bit then they put it back into the oven and they do that again for like many many hours and at the end of the day you know they're they're putting it back in because it's attached to this rod and they need to like very gently tap the glass to like remove it from the rod. And it's like so many things can go wrong. Like you can get to the end of an eight, 10, 20 hour session. And if you make one mistake, your whole thing is like draw, like you drop this thing to the ground, it shatters. And like, you know, you got to redo the whole thing over again. Imagine working on something for 500 years (laughs) (laughs) and then discovering at the end Hey, there was no point to that whole thing. You, you it was a complete waste of time, by the way. <laughs> I kind of wish that, that was one bit because that, mm-hmm. that occurred to me where the like centuries later yeah. is funny. Yes. 
but but like what's I the mindset think, of someone that like did that right? i don't yeah. think they settled i don't think they sat with that like there should i wish it had been a little I, more of a dramatic it, it worked for it worked it worked for me okay. it worked for me because okay. because first of all like they, they do take a moment to pause at, at when like it's revealed that the whole enterprise is worthless like you know victor yeah. timely yeah. says i'm sorry and and there is a sense of loss and then also loki's like hey guess what i'm not done yet like I can, I can go back further in time. So that's what he does, right? He goes back even further in time, and uh, and so that's why, like, he wouldn't necessarily be like, "Oh, woe is me," because sure, he still has sure. more options, right? So uh, okay, Loki time slips back to the season one finale of the show, and there's a really cool moment when he time slips back into himself. The camera kind of—I want to say the camera does this. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't remember what the camera. There's a, a camera move that's like when it, it's like swinging around a person. There's a specific name for it. I apologize. It's not a dolly, but it's like it like swings around him, like uh, like circular motion, and then he time slips and then like swings back to like kind of reveal that now the character is perceiving things in a different perspective. I mean, the filmmaking is often top notch in the show, you know, and this was yeah. this is an example of it. Um, so Loki tries to stop Sylvie from killing he who remains because basically Sylvie kind of reveals like, oh, the only way to stop this is to stop all the branches from being created in the first place, which means you got to stop Sylvie from killing he who remains because theoretically he was holding the whole thing together with his bare hands uh, at the end of season one. Um, Loki tries to stop Sylvie from killing he who remains many times, but is unsuccessful. She keeps saying, you know, if you want to stop me, you'll have to. To kill me, and he tries to stop her without killing her. That's that's the yeah. thing is uh, he can probably kill her, and I actually thought he would many times. I thought it was like when they transported to the elevator. I thought he would just stab oh, her right I, in the I, chest. You know, um, I was ready to be so mad at this show. I was like, <laughs> you can, like do not like. I was gonna be so. Upset Why would you have been mad at that? Why would you have been mad at that? Because I think Sylvie is a really good character. It would be completely wasted to have just been offed in one. I think it would have been unsatisfying from like a narrative perspective. It's like I don't think this is a good resolution to the show. I don't think it's a good resolution to to Loki. I don't think it's a good resolution to Sylvie, and especially as someone who was frustrated over the season one Loki and Sylvie. That's the show. Season two Loki and Sylvie. Not so much the show, and I wish it was more of the show. And so I was going to be pretty upset if the end of those two characters' interaction was him knifing her after just not getting enough time to actually explore that relationship further. And I just thought it was – I thought it was a cheap out. I thought, like, that's too easy to end this. I understand where you're getting the drama from. I understand how you would arrive at that conclusion. And I, had, I like you – like, oh, I guess this is where the show is going. That's a bummer. It'll be kind of sad. It'll probably move me a little bit. But that's not actually where I would like to see these characters end up if I was choosing. So I was happy to discover that that's not actually where the show went. I think you're right. I think ultimately it ended up in a much better place. And he just kills Sylvie and that's what he what he learns, you know. it's a, It reminded me, honestly, of Matrix Reloaded, basically, where uh, the architect – which, by the way – the season one finale, also a lot of Matrix Reloaded architect vibes, but oh, for sure. the architect is like, you got to kill, at the end of season one, he says, you got to kill me, um, or, you know, or else, I, what was the other alternative? He gave them, he's like, you kill me or do this other thing, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, if you kill him, but if you kill me, the world, oh, oh he's like, you got to take over for me. 
you got to take over. For right. Me. Like, um, oh, wow. He does. Yeah. He does sort of lay. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. I didn't realize that he laid the seeds for <laughs> that, that in the first season. Yeah. 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 He's like, thing. you got to take over for me. And, uh, if you kill me, um, and Sylvie just kills him, but doesn't take over, which is what causes everything to go haywire. Right. Um, but in this episode, it's, it's more like you have to kill this thing you love in order to save the universe, which is the exact dilemma presented to Neo in Matrix Reloaded. He says, if you go to save Trinity, everyone in the planet's going to die, basically. That's, it's the same uh, conflict. So we learn that both He Who Remains and Loki have the ability to stop time which is very cool. And I mean, the, the whole way all the Groundhog Day stuff is shot is very cool. You know, we see it from different perspectives and there's rapid cuts. And so and it, you get the sense that he's trying many, many things. And um, finally, they stop time and they have a conversation. And we learn that the temporal loom is a failsafe. And when the loom is overloaded with branches, it deletes the ones that aren't supposed to be there. Everything except the TV, uh, I'm sorry, everything except the sacred timeline. And the TVA, that's just collateral damage. No biggie, easy to rebuild. I'm quoting from... Uh, what uh, He Who Remains is, is, says in the episode. I, I, I kind of transcribed it while I was watching the show. Um, and it essentially comes out that no matter what happens, Loki will always lose, and He Who Remains and his variants will triumph. At which point, Loki says, uh, I'm going to change our equation. I'll break your loom. And then He Who Remains responds, the loom prevents a war where nothing survives, not even your sacred timeline. Um, let's try it this way. Every moment of peace you've ever experienced was yours because I was here alone at the end of time keeping watch. But you want to break the loom. What do you think would happen to your friends? I made the tough choices. That's why I get the big chair. Break the loom and you cause a war that kills us all. Game over. Or kill her and we protect what we can. That's kind of the mm-hmm. the, the, confl- the the choice that is provided to Loki. Now, the other thing that I think this scene reveals is that... Uh, he who remains is responsible in some way for Loki's time slipping abilities. Is did you interpret it that way as well? That was my that was what I understood, but I'm not sure. Like, it's it's possible, or that he who remains, whether it's Loki specifically or not, presumed a con like someone was going to eventually come and take him out, and a consequence of that, like he, he foresaw the, the the ripple effects, whether it was Loki or someone else. That they he would just end up in this situation. This was the failsafe, even if you tried to kill him and then expand the loom, which would be natural things the TVA maybe would try to do to deal with the consequences of he who remains being being off. And so uh I think it can work either way, whether it is specific to Loki or just him anticipating like that would be a solution to the the problem in front of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that was the sense I got was that. He kind of says, hey, hey, like, you know, he who remains anticipates that Loki's going to be there. How many times have we had this conversation, blah, blah, blah. And I, that was the implication. It was that he who remains somehow gave Loki time slipping abilities or facilitated the time slipping. Um, uh, yeah. Daniel Falconer in the chat says he remains. He who remains made it very clear that he set up the dominoes for Loki to have his time slipping abilities. So that, so that was the impression I got. He didn't he wasn't clear on how he did that or how that happened. Um, but he seemed to take responsibility for it. So yeah. I also loved the, um, there are a couple bits I loved in this exchange. One, <laughs> neither you nor I, nor most people I know that have watched this show were huge fans of, uh, the performance choices by majors for Victor timely. Mm-hmm. And so to have 
he who remains make fun of those performance choices there were like a certain like i know what you're not actually doing is making fun of your acting choices but there is a certain devilish delight that i'm taking from you like yeah and like why does uh, that guy talk that way? I Again, didn't, we were very I, I, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. But go, go ahead. We're making know. fun yeah. of yeah. like anyone having a verbal tick that like results in like you having to speak that way. It was more we did not like these very overt uh, – Someone I saw someone uh, make this comparison, which is that Victor Timely seemed a lot like one of the actors that would show up um, in Barry, like to the actor's class, like time to act. And it's like, yeah, Victor Timely gives absolutely the vibes of somebody who's like, this is what it means to choose – how to act and so to have he who remains poke fun at that was odd uh, Very odd. that odd right. is the word i would use it's just like why <laughs> why did you you're you're the one that made the decision jonathan majors like it, <laughs> and, <laughs> probably and the, and the other I part of, yes and and the other part of that was i really liked that like i really enjoyed the season one finale this version of he who remains who was a very unsettling strange up, uh, kind of upsettingly played character and so i enjoyed revisiting that yeah. version of this character because i think it's i'm sure you know you've seen the post credit scene in quantum mania to all these other goofy other kangs that he's playing that have similar sort of victor timely style uh like <laughs> like like uh and for here it's like this is the one that scares me this is the one that's terrifying is the guy behind this desk who says you know, how many times have we've had this conversation? Which leads me to the other point, which is I really enjoyed where Loki tried to reverse that for a moment and go, how do you know this is the first time that we've had this mm-hmm. conversation? Yeah, I, I like that. Like, that was oh, nice. Oh, that was nice. I was, I was like, that's good. I think he's bullshitting, but that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> which, is, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, huh, isn't that's weird that you would... <laughs> If it's not the first time you've had that conversation, it's weird that you'd play out the initial conversation the exact same way, but whatevs. It's cool. It's a cool move, you know? So, anyway. Uh, so, at that point, Loki says, hey, I I have, you know, he clearly has a plan. He's going to figure out how to beat He Who Remains. So, he, we see him time slip to the pilot of the show. Uh, Mobius and Loki's first meeting where Loki uh, asks Mobius about some of the TVA's workings. Mobius tells a story about how a hunter lost sight of the big picture and couldn't prune a variant child. Uh, We later learn that hunter was Mobius himself and Renslayer stepped in for him and helped him out. Um, And they talk about how, you know, Mobius basically talks about how maintaining our world is about making tough choices and there's no real satisfaction in it. Uh, there's no reward or psychic benefit you get. It's just tough choices, uh, and you need to just choose to accept the burden. At which point, so yeah, um, any thoughts on that scene, uh, by the way, Patrick? I, I thought it was a very heartfelt scene that kind of helps to give Loki the energy to do what he needs to do at the end of this episode, right? That and also, I think that exchange touched on something that you and I have wished this season had much more of was what's happening in these other branches. Who are these people who is impacted by that? We get a little sense of that in season one, when you're actually chasing variants around, right. And then a huge part of the end of season one is finding where like people who are pruned to go and yada, yada, yada. But this was a very human 
relatable moment where, of course, like some of the people you're pruning are like, they've probably been babies. They've probably been children. Like you are committing horrific acts in order, like, and you tell yourself, I'm doing it for, like, I'm, I'm saving people. And you don't know that you're actually doing that, but that's the mission in front of you. And well, I think, I think the show implies that they are in fact saving people. They are preventing things from spiraling out of control to some degree. To some well, they don't know that it couldn't be done another way. Yeah, right? sure, so like sure. they don't know the counterfactual. Like they don't know they have that all the evidence in front of them. So I don't think Mobius, like it, like these characters are committing immoral acts given the the information that is presented to them as characters. But it speaks to a broader issue I had with the season that we had with the season of, oh wow, like there was an opportunity to give more humanity and grounding to like these other branches to these other variants to these other people. And not, I'm not saying I need to see the scene where like an eight year old gets like pruned, like necessarily, but yeah. something to that effect, there were, that scene was so affecting in a way that it, it bummed me out in a way different from then just being bummed out by like what was being described and how sad it was, but also sort of missed opportunity for like, mm. yeah, like, what this group was doing was really upsetting. And I don't think the show like sat with it and reckoned with it. And it got, it went past that very emotional moment when, or attempted to be emotional moment when all the branches are, are burning up and disappearing. And it's like stories like that inserted earlier in different ways, I think could have given a lot more weight to, you know, scenes that we were talking about earlier where it's like billions of people are dying and I don't care. And I should. <laughs> it's and the end of like billions of people's lives as we know <laughs> yes. it. In a moment and like I that. I feel fine. You know? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. In a moment like that, I think could have given some sort of grounding. And and so I'm glad it existed. Like it, again, you're, you're cons- talking about four, five, six as this one arc, kind of its own little show within a show is beautiful. But also it, I think it also points to these missed opportunities along the way. Yeah, uh, I think that's all right. I do just want to highlight the filmmaking choices in the scene. Um, at, like this episode, every time there was like a filmmaking choice, it was the right one. <laughs> you know, when when Mobius gets super serious, you see it cuts to a, a close up on his face, super shallow depth of field. I'm like, yeah. that is that is the correct angle to use when you're getting real serious about what he's saying, and I really appreciated that. Great scene. Loki time slips to the end of episode five <laughs> and freezes time for both him and Sylvie and says, we're outside of time. And then he like Loki then explains to Sylvie the nature of the mission. Uh, and Sylvie thinks it's actually worth dying. It's worth it. Hey, we tried to fight the TVA and everyone died. And that is an acceptable outcome. And Loki is thinking to himself, what, what is the point of fighting if everyone dies? Like what, there's no feels like, you know, and then Sylvie gives this analogy about, how she's been through a bunch of apocalypses and she's like, this one is worth going through as well. And he says, but in, a po- in an apocalypse, there's a chance that you'll be able to replace what came before with something better. And that's when he has his aha moment. And this is kind of the last time they speak in the show uh, and possibly ever. Uh, so any thoughts on this, Patrick, before we get to the, the, the sort of final sequence? Well, I thought it was, that's kind of the philosophical tension between yeah, Sylvie and Loki ultimately is his desire to like he's discovered actual friendships, relationships. This is not something that the character 
you know, we have a different version of the character from like the, you know, uh, sacred timeline, or like the, the version of Loki that we know, you know, all the way through, you know, Infinity War and Endgame in which he resolves sort of his his issues with Thor and like becomes sort of a relatable character. Um, but here, this different version of Loki, a much more heroic version of Loki, like is going through that as this accelerated pace and is trying to resolve that tension with Sylvie's like very valid point of sure. Maybe Mobius and all these hunters didn't know what they were doing, but what they were doing was horrific and we should just burn it all down and see what happens. And many, maybe many lives are lost in the process, but what's on the other side is potentially true freedom. And as like the, like obviously as we discover with Loki time slipping and, and managing uh, like the issues in front of him is that like, there isn't anything in front of it. There is no future to build. So how do you find a way to resolve these two, which is that the status quo has to change, but with a, the green pasture on the other side or the potential for one. And so I think it's a really interesting resolution where he essentially agrees with Sylvie, but Sylvie doesn't know what she doesn't know, at least until a certain moment where he explains like this all dies. Like they're, your decision, your decision, you made the right one, but not knowing that there was a nuclear bomb like attached yeah, I, to the decision. I don't know if I would describe him as agreeing with Sylvie. I think that he has this realization of, hey, what comes next needs to be better. And he realizes I can create a better world, right? Except not in a Bond villain evil kind of way. Like <laughs> I, I can create a world in which the TV, people of the TVA don't die. But in which all the variant timelines uh, or branch timelines can still exist, right? That's that's the world that he wants to create. Um, so it's a, it's a melding of what came before and kind of uh, what Sylvie wants. And um, so I, I don't know that it's quite like agreeing with Sylvie. It's kind of like a new thing, a, a new idea that that Sylvie planted in his head. So um, okay. Uh, Loki time slips back to the end of episode four again. <laughs> and which is like the fifth time we've seen this or, you know, hundredth, depending on how many shots there were. And then Loki says, I know what I want. I know what kind of God I need to be for you, for all of us. That's what he says. Turns out it's the kind of God that probably exists in eternity in kind of some form of torment, you know, Atlas style or uh, Sisyphus style, you know? Uh, Loki opens the door himself and walks onto the gangway. His clothes start melting off as his costume kind of transforms into his original form. Uh, and then, Patrick, it's a literal deus ex machina. A literal <laughs> god in the machine. Loki destroys the loom, sending branches flying... Uh, timeline. Sorry. Loki destroys the loom, sending branch timelines flying everywhere. And he then picks up what appears to be dead branches and starts infusing them with his life force. A portal opens and Loki steps on a light bridge and walks on stairs towards the portal. And he's, he, the, the portal starts closing and it sucks all these branches along with him. And uh, Sylvie says, he's giving us a chance. And Loki sits on this throne and appears to be holding and giving life to all these branches by himself single-handedly. And this is kind of the best of what visual effects can be, in my opinion, when it comes to fantastical stuff. I think these visuals were great. They looked awesome. 
and they were very evocative, and you get the sense of what he's doing, which is he is sacrificing himself to preserve all these people's lives. Um, what did you think of this entire sequence, Patrick Lepic? Yeah, I thought it was great, and uh, it it was a great example of like the the color association we have with Loki as yeah. well, in which those branches could have glowed up any number of colors. You could have just spun a rainbow wheel and you would have believed it. Sure. It's yellow. And, and like the fact that they were all green and we've had this long association with green, with Loki, with his powers, like what manifests like both in his costuming, but also in the limited time that we sort of get with his sort of power set and how that's displayed in these various movies and television shows. Again, it's like, we went back to this very, why I thought this whole sequence and where it ends and whether this is, the end of Hiddleston as this character or whatever, like was a, just a really powerful, like in many ways is like the MCU is fucked up and broken, but I'm going to grab it and I'm going to put it on my back and I'm going to do something decent with my bare hands. I'm going to hold this whole thing together with my bare hands. Yes. I'm just like, I can't help you with what comes next. That's up to you. But like, I, I'm here. And I, I thought it was great, and um, uh, I, I thought it was beautiful, and I thought it was moving. And and, and I just want to say, it's very easy for something like this to look silly, because there's these mm-hmm. ropes that are supposed to be time, and he's like grabbing them in this kind of dramatic slow-mo fashion. And I was like, this is right on the edge of looking kind of silly, but it actually looks awesome. Like, And there's a very fine line between those two things, and I think... It just everything from like how real, like the design of the the branches and the the choreography of his movements and the costume he's wearing, it all comes together to be something very beautiful. And um, huge props to the show for that. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, Patrick. No, no, you're fine, and I, I think you're right because it's, it would have been very easy for that to feel like. Well, I'm clearly, just watching somebody in front of a green screen, right? And you know, you you watch enough of this stuff. Like, I mean, I know. That's what's happening, but then it becomes a question of buy-in. Like it's a combination of technical expertise tied to creative artistry, and I think this is an example of like where that where like I was transported to a place where I can I can give up my disconnection with understanding technically how this stuff is made to be in a moment, and that is extremely difficult to pull off. Granted, I think a lot of that happens because it's. Hiddleston, right? Like, I think you swap him out for any number of actors. It's a combination of your investment with this character. It's a combination. Well, the of performance, just it. the performance is awesome. It's like he's he is like I am saving the universe, right? Like that's the yeah. perform. It's not just he's grabbing stuff. It's like he needs to feel like I am saving the universe, and I think you really buy it when when he's doing it. So yeah, and he's not doing it through. I I, I love a good action set piece just as much as anyone when it's done well, but. Third, I think part of the reason it works, part of the reason you buy it is because it's the equivalent of a third act action set piece between characters that is instead like this emotional conclusion for this character. Yeah. And so because of that, I think it's much easier to buy in to the effects and everything happening around you because you're not watching, you know, at like at the end of WandaVision, like Vision and I forget the other one, the gray <laughs> version of him, the white version of himself. But like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, right. Like, this isn't a particularly 
interestingly depicted action sequence and also it's like very blurry uh and and that that could that's it makes it difficult to buy in and mm-hmm, i think all of this mm-hmm. this works really well to have you buy in it's not like the best visual effects you and i have ever seen it's not like this is going to win a technical award but it's because all those things combine together to let you sit in a moment and that's just really difficult to pull off especially in like a show that like you and i have been highly critical of like to achieve this moment at like its like biggest moment is something i wasn't expecting wasn't ready for and was deeply pleasantly surprised to be as invested as i was to watch a man move through cg threads for you know two or three minutes and i I was i was delighted that it worked as well as it did where i disagree with you is i think it is it is i would argue it is some of the best cg i've seen I'm going to just put that out there. Maybe this remark will age poorly. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's it's really impressive. So I, I think people do deserve to get awards for this. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, but I agree with everything else you said other than that. Uh, and I also wanted to point out uh, that, yeah, people are were saying uh, human help in the chat says, love how Loki's new multiversal timelines take shape as Yggdrasil, the Norse sacred tree of life, right? Uh, the word that you said you couldn't pronounce at the beginning of this podcast. So anyway, um, <laughs> well, I think that was like a between that and then um, who's the like in the in the episode where they go to Chicago and there's the brother that's like has never been depicted in the films. Um, that they talk oh, yeah. About. Yeah. Oh, when they when they go up to the to the to the to the, to the uh, artist depiction. Anyway, I, I thought that like for Thor, Loki uh, how they've been depicted in the Marvel universe, like is plays very fast and loose and doesn't care that much yeah. about actual Norse mythology. I yeah. thought having the tree there depicted as a sort of like time version of that was like a really elegant and beautiful image. Like it was, I was wait, I was like not going to be surprised if cut to credits. It's like I guess that's I guess that's where everything ends. Like because that's a really yeah. fascinating way to depict everything that occurred so i actually like paused it and i was like oh i guess it's over and i was like oh no i get nope okay all right we got we got more to go <laughs> yeah yeah indeed uh so there then there's a very simple uh word that shows up on the screen it just says after and then we get some resolution for all the other characters um so we're back at the tva on the big tva screen the sacred timeline has been replaced with a diagram showing the many branches that loki's brought to life uh, Mobius gives B-15 a report on variants of He Who Remains, uh, who apparently doesn't know the TVA exists at this point. Uh, and then Mobius tells B-15 he's quitting the TVA because he wants to see what they've been fighting for. B-15 then joins her colleagues in the war room, uh, seemingly at peace with her decision to work at the TVA. Uh, OB unboxes the TVA handbook, second edition. My guess is this incorporates all the stuff that Loki did in the last <laughs> in the last 24 hours or however long it's been, right? Uh, yep, yep. There's an appendix about, hey, it's not the uh, sacred timeline anymore. It's like a bunch of timelines now. Well, it's, it's specifically, they make a reference to the events of Quantumania, which is that, oh, like Earth 616 took care of one of the variants, mm, um, which mm, is the mm. one defeated in uh, Ant-Man. Mm. Um and they're like, oh, great. We don't have to deal with that one. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, at least All Quantumania right. was good for something. You know, that's kind of what <laughs> that was about. Uh, okay, so, you know, there's a question. People in the chat are saying Rav- Ravona's end was kind of uh, uh, odd. 
And somebody earlier in the chat, so we see Ravonna Renslayer wake up. It looks like she's yeah. kind of at the end of time. Um, uh, well, I think she's she's where she was pruned, right? So she, she was pruned right. to where the what's depicted towards the end of season one of Loki, which is yeah. you are pruned and then you go to this place and then you are eaten by I forget the sky <laughs> the sky beast uh, 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 name, um, which I presume is what is approaching her uh at at the end in addition to having very clearly a pyramid behind her which is an obvious uh reference to one of the versions of kang that is depicted at the end of quantumania yeah uh ip man in the chat says the pyramid in the void is where rama tut is right the first kang variant uh renslayer and kang team up perhaps i think it's vague enough that it could be anything that's that's how I feel about it. Um, it, it. Very likely, that's the end of Ravonna Renslayer, or it could be something else that she's seen at that point. Because you don't you don't see what she sees, right? You just see mm-hmm. it's like purple flashing. So could be anything. Could be anything. And then uh, Mobius goes back to Earth and sees himself as a single dad. Uh, Sylvie shows up, doesn't know where she's going to go, and Mobius says he might just wait there and let time pass. And then we see a visualization of Mobius in this time branched timeline that like, it seems like Loki understands that Mobius is there and he's witnessing it. And he kind of uh, is weepy and has tears in his eyes as we cut to black. And that's the end of the show. I should point out that this episode is entitled Glorious Purpose, which is the same name as the very first episode of the first season of the show. Mm. So it does feel as though this is kind of like there's some kind of symmetry that this, the show is trying to convey with that title. And like this, this brings the journey of this character full circle. I, I would not be surprised if this is the last we ever see of this character. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Patrick Klepek, what do you think of these final scenes? I doubt it's the well, one. I think it's really. I thought that was beautiful. Like the Mobius Loki relationship is like one of the key. Yeah. Like is the reason the show works on many levels, and so I, even though they weren't in the same room, did not get to play off one another in the way that they have done delightfully over the course of both seasons. I think the fact that their final moment is separated, but is like this deeply moving and happy moment uh, with these two characters as they chart their own paths, um, which it, you know, I don't, I don't think the path Loki was on the past Mobius on, were not necessarily informed by what they each truly wanted. And so for them to both sort of end up in that place, I think are really interesting conclusions to those characters, whether or not we see them in, in the future, I suspect uh, you know, we we see Loki in the future because if they continue with Kang, I presume part of that is going to be an unraveling of whatever Loki, you know, is is doing uh, sort of at the end of time equivalent. One thing I do find interesting about everything of where this season ends up is if Marvel wants to, they do. There is nothing. I know that in the variety report that you and I had both read where yeah. it's like, wow. Loki season two really ends up with like, what are they going to do except move forward with Kang? And it's like, there's nothing here that locks them in to having to do Kang. There is not like TVA tracking down those variants on it. Like Loki 
strong. He's, he's doing his thigh days. He's doing his arm days. Like on it. I like Rhett Renslayer. Like doesn't meet like any of these. Like yes, we see a pyramid of the background, but like I don't think this multiverse stuff has worked particularly well. I don't think Kang has been a particularly good villain. Jonathan Majors has all sorts of very legitimate reasons why you wouldn't want to associate with that actor, uh, regardless of how his legal situation like ends up in the eyes of the law going forward. Boy, there just seems like a really rich opportunity to go, hey, the multiverse is fun. It's goofy, but it seems to really undercut a lot of emotional grounding with the character in this world. Like, what if not? Uh, anymore and that's kind of my hope at the end of this I had been theorizing that maybe there'd be a re kind of surprise recasting or like a very obvious way that they would pivot away from this villain that seems to implicate so much about the future of what they've got planned but I got to the end of this it was like cool like Marvel you just want to like dust your hands there's like a thousand ways you can write yourself out of this and I sort of hope they do Um, and, and I think this is a Having the multiverse, having just been this little Loki project, like that's fine. Like it was, it was good enough on its own. I wish it had done different things, but like maybe we're just, maybe we're just done. Like, do you think anyone's gonna blink if Kang never showed up again? I didn't see Kang will return at the end. Mm-hmm. Huh? I, I didn't no, see no, that. no Loki, no Loki will return either. You know, so um, no, no, no. Uh, so I'd be, well, I'd be, I'd be perfectly happy if like this was a conclusion for a lot of characters' arcs. Let's. We have a few more thoughts to share about that, uh, and uh, some comments I want to get to. But before we do any of that, Patrick Klepek, um, why don't you tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, they can find me uh, over at uh, remapradio.com uh, on uh, all my work on a parenting and gaming newsletter at crossplay.news. And if you want more episodes of this podcast, podcast.decodingtv.com is where you can find it. Uh, decodingtv at gmail.com is where you can email us. And become a paid member at DecodingTV.com to support this podcast, get ad-free episodes, as well as early access to episodes. I want to uh, mention, of course, that actually recently on Decoding TV, we've been covering Gen V uh, with Jesse Earl. That's been great. Uh, we're also planning to cover Invincible uh, with Jesse as well. Hopefully that's all going to work out. And Patrick and I are going to start covering The Curse, a new show that's available on Paramount Plus and Showtime. Uh, that should be really, really interesting. So keep it tuned into Decoding TV. There's a lot more ahead uh, this season. So, okay, Patrick Klepek, uh, a few other things to discuss. I mean, in relation to what you said, first of all, I want to point out this comment from Abby Normal in the chat who says, it's a little odd that he who remains betraying Ravana Renslayer and wiping her memory isn't really fleshed out. Like with several other plot lines this season... <laughs> That is just a miss thing. Miss minutes, like yeah, miss like, minutes, I mean, like, like wanting a human body, like th- that's just a thing that they're like, hey, that'd be, hey, that'd be cool, that'd be cool, and then they just <laughs> no follow up at all. So it's just like none. They, they're. I was talking with uh, Sarah Mars on, um, on, uh, you know, decoding TV for like Justified mm-hmm. and other things, and you know, Sarah comes into a lot of situations believing that you're in the hands of like really gifted experienced storytellers and so it's like if if oh if they if the show introduced that well they have to pay that off and i'm like i don't know sarah like sometimes the show is bad and uh sometimes they don't pay the thing off and uh that's i think what's happened here like i don't i don't know if we're ever gonna get any payoff for any of that you know like um what's so interesting was i saw in one of the interviews 
with one of the creatives on the show. Maybe it was a producer. I don't know, but someone involved in the production of the season in which they asked in light of a lot of uh, reporting and discussion of like how Marvel has handled productions, both on the theatrical and the television side of just shoot it. And then we'll, we'll figure out what doesn't work and we'll reshoot it later. Like we'll figure out in the edit bay and we've got infinite supplies of money. They said specifically they did none of that with Loki season two in which they shot what they wrote and that was it. And in some ways, I think the way Marvel has done this in the past, that's bad. Just have better scripts and you can do pickups, you can do reshoots, but do that in service of punctuating what's already there as opposed to telling a different story. And I get the sense that the show could have used those reshoots and that creative retooling when it became clear we're not going to pay off any of like these other sub arcs what if we had spent more time with x y and z because this miss minute stuff is just not going anywhere anyway and so it's just kind of an odd place for that 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 show to end yeah uh we'll we'll see i mean there's a bunch of stuff in the mcu that hasn't been referenced you know or paid off sure at all um you know, in this in this universe, uh, there's still a gigantic hand coming out of the North Pole or whatever, you know, from the Eternals. And... Earth is still dealing with the fact that essentially a celestial god appeared <laughs> Tried in to front like of a park. emerge out of it, and you know, no... one of the scariest moments like depicted in the MCU. That movie is not very good. Like, the, I like the, it. The Etern- like, I like it. I think it's fine. I, I like it more than most. Yes. Um, uh, and Me too. that scene in particular is fucking horrifying and the fact that that did not leave any sort of scar tissue on earth 616 is a problem (laughs) absolutely remember like incredible like mark ruffalo introducing his relative at the end of she hulk and uh those characters that were introduced in space at the end of eternals like there's a ton of stuff that just who knows if they're ever going to reference it again and ravana renslayer and he who remains relationship is i'm adding that to the list of maybe they're never going to deal with it again uh, Alan Seppenwall sent out this email literally while we were recording this saying how, uh, quote, by ascending to the throne at the end of time and becoming the new Lord of the multiverse, uh, um, it seems as if Loki has usurped he who remains position within the MCU. Why does the multiverse saga need any Kang anymore? Even one played by an actor who is not Jonathan Majors when Loki is literally sitting right there. Even the epilogue at TVA had Mobius and Hunter B-15 talking about the other He Who Remains variants as if they were minor nuisances who would eventually be dealt with. Here in the chat, uh, Daniel Falconer says, just recast Kang. The setup for the character is the most easy way to recast ever. They had a Loki variant that was a different gender. Yeah. So basically, uh, you know, in poker, there are these things called outs um, where it's like the card that you need to draw to win. Marvel has a lot of outs. Loki's the new He Who Remains. Recast Kang. They seem to be taking none of the outs <laughs> so far, like that we know of, right? Or yeah. at least, at the very least, they seem to be working it out. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I would be pretty shocked if. Because as you said, Patrick, there's so many paths to, to pivot away from this. I'd be shocked if they didn't eventually take one of them. Um, I mean, we like right right before we recorded, Marvel delayed a bunch of their films, which is not a Marvel specific thing. Yeah. That is like we're about to go through a cascading series of delays now yeah. that the writer strike is over, the actor strike is over, 
as they figure out productions, we're going to be in like a uh, past spring of next year, just a, like a, a wasteland of like films and television shows as things like move into production and we wait for that process to play itself out. You know, if you believe the Variety article that like there was a big creative meeting in September at like Marvel HQ on a retreat to figure out like, are we doing Doctor what is Doom? What is to be like, done about are, this Kang situation, basically? What is to be done? <laughs> and really like, what is to be done about the next, te- like if the last couple of years of, of the MCU have been kind of, a waste, right? Like it's had some highs, um, a lot of lows, but there doesn't need to be like a connective tissue that is pointing in the direction of a style or an approach, new team ups. Uh, what is that? Like these delays combined with not really making a decision by the end of Loki, I think point to, I'm not sure that Marvel has picked out with that. Very possible. Is yet. Very possible. And I, I think, What's convenient about the end of season two of Loki is that it like as I was saying, like it lets them kind of do whatever they want. You've seen the Marvels. My impression of that is it doesn't pick a path for no, them not out all. of this. Um, and so what is even like we have Echo coming uh later this year or early, early next year. Yeah. Like the next pivot like Deadpool three, which will just be its own yeah. romp. Uh although I think Mobius is supposed to come back in that in that in that film to, to some degree um uh essentially they've got what a year and a half before they have to pick a path again it's a long time before they have to commit one way or the other and at least maybe that's encouraging because it gives them a chance to sit with this character what it means is all of this worth it what other paths could we go down yeah, Daniel Falconer in the chat says Deadpool 3 has been delayed two months to July 2024. It is now the only 2024 MCU movie. Yeah. Which is wild, by the way. Like, yeah. We were in a world where there's literally three to four MCU movies a year. And now we're going down to one, which probably doesn't have any connection to uh, kind of this broader Kang stuff, is my guess. Even the other ones, I think Captain America is supposed to come out, New World Order is supposed to come out uh, next Thund- year. Thunderbolts. Uh, Thunderbolts, Thunderbolts was yeah. supposed to come out next year. All of those films, absent, even of being creative, I don't really see how they tie into the Kang dynasty at all. Like, so, <laughs> right. Uh, it's 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 odd that so much of this has happened on the television side with the apps like with the the, the broad exception of ant-man uh quantum media and so I, you know hopefully they just look in comics you can is anyone really going to complain if they go in a different direction whether it's kang recasting uh like whatever the case may be i hope wherever they go from here if they choose to commit to this path of storytelling is done so with more confidence. There was a lot of confidence in these last couple of episodes. Like however you feel about multiverse and that style of storytelling and the sheer prevalence of it in so much media in the last couple of years, which is incidental to the MCU. And then also, you know, spider verse, you know, everything everywhere all at once. There just seems to be a lot of multiversal storytelling. I just hope they like, there's a strength of commitment because that's what's, that's what has been so lacking post end game is just, I don't need like a villain that's built up over five years. I just need a sense that like we're doing strong storytelling and we got that for three episodes of Loki. Plus I think that original episode and that would be enough for me is just commit to telling strong stories. The rest will figure itself out. Um, And I hope that's where we, we end up with the MCU whenever it 
picks itself uh, back up. I think that's a great place to end it. Um, overall, I, I am shocked to say I think I, <laughs> I, I think I might have I think I might have liked more episodes than not this season of Loki. And yeah. I did. I really did not believe that I would feel that way by the end of the, sh- the season. But I think I think that's true. And um, good on them. I think I think they did a great job this season. And uh, some of these images will stay with me for a long time. Particularly that last shot of that that last episode. I think it's really powerful. So absolutely, uh, Patrick Klepek. Really grateful to you for being my Loki conversation buddy. And if you are enjoying listening to or watching this uh, on YouTube.com slash Decoding TV, be sure to subscribe to the podcast we got a lot more coming up for you in the near future. He is Patrick Klepek. I am David Chen. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.